0: Good afternoon, you are listening to WMUA 91.1 Amherst. Welcome to Undercurrents. My name is Jenny. I'll be with you for the next half hour, along with my co-host, Anne. Our guests today, I would like to say in the studio, but this is our virtual Zoom studio. Our guests today are Art Keen and Jennifer Sandler, both associated with the Department of Anthropology at UMass Amherst. Art is a professor emeritus and he's also a founder and publisher of the indie Jennifer Sandler who also an anthro has her research focuses on structural inequalities and in community organizing so it's now less than a week after the elections or i guess it's a little bit of a vague um, a, a vague point to start counting time from because the results have been dribbling in but uh, um, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris got the above the critical number in the Electoral College on Saturday afternoon around 12 o'clock Eastern time. So I would like to start by asking our, our guests to discuss a little bit about the state of the nation. I mean, especially given that although the Electoral College count is decisive, There were an enormous number of voters who voted for Trump. So I'd like you to talk a little bit, speculate about what that means, what kind of situation we're in. And I'll throw the microphone over to Art
1: first. Okay, well, um, I guess I start from a position of being emotionally exhausted after Uh, Going through the last week, and uh, I had a, um, I guess, a reprieve for a day or two when the Biden victory was declared. And I think that's something that anybody who doesn't support support fascism can celebrate, whether you like Joe or not. Uh, And then I kind of returned to the reality that 70 million people voted for an overtly fascist party and chose uh, a fulminating, willfully ignorant, polarizing, authoritarian, lying racist. Did I miss anything? No, uh, that's okay. Who's actively looting the country while doing his best to fan the flames of, of a terrifying pandemic. And they chose that over a genial candidate who suggested that maybe we should try and all come together as a nation. Uh, So that's distressing. And I see that as one of four ominous uh, obstacles that we face as we try and bring the country back from the brink. Uh, The second is that we're in the middle of an attempted coup. Um, The um, Trump and his attorneys, Jones Day, have brought a complaint to the Supreme Court asking to toss out uh, the entire electoral totals of two states. Pennsylvania and Michigan, and that suit has been joined by 10 red state AGs. Now, it's a lazy and sloppy attempt, and it's likely to fail, but it's, it's you know, it's, it, it's pretty ominous and scary, all the more so when we see that, I think it was yesterday, uh, when Trump decapitated basically the entire civilian leadership at the Pentagon with 70 days left in his term. So what's that about? So I think that's ominous. And then the corpse of the Trump campaign was not even cold before centrist Democrats began to attack the left flank of the party, blaming them for the closeness of the election, for losing seats in the House, for failing to take the Senate. Uh, people like Joe Manchin uh, of West Virginia, Abigail Spanberger of Virginia, Connor Lamb, um, And and suggesting that unless we silence the left within the party now, uh, the party has no future. So I find that pretty ominous, given that we could do an analysis that shows that when Democrats succeeded, they succeeded because of the left. Um, And then the, the, I need a metaphor here. I wanted to say the elephant in the room, but we have an elephant, so. but I, I find the degree of voter suppression in the country that's become acceptable and sort of baked into the process and, and without any resistance um, from the victims, from the Democratic Party to be deeply troubling. And you know we have a special election coming up in Georgia and the Republican Party has already said that they wanna ban uh, vote by mail in that. So we've got a voter suppression problem in the country and we face that as we move forward. So those things are really ominous. Um, But there's plenty of things that we can do. We just have to understand that, you know, we have this minefield of problems that aren't going to go away because Joe Biden was elected.
0: Great, thanks Art Jen, do you want to add, add your own thoughts?
2: Sure. Um, Yeah, I, I agree with everything that Art said. Um, Fundamentally, it's, um, it's all that all of those things are true. Um, I want to actually, I'd like to piggyback on the, um, or start with the voter suppression that Art ended with, um, which is to say that, you know, I think that we, the United States has never had a um, perfect democracy. We have always had an extraordinarily flawed, extraordinary thin democracy and democratic system. And so, any pretense that um, that there was some golden age where all was well in American democracy that is now being rolled back is um, is is an ahistorical understanding of um, of of what happened. That that said, it is also true that 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 there are some things that are truly unprecedented that are going on right now. Um, but I think that you know, I th- to to me, I think um, the big arc, um, or the the maybe the medium arc, the the big arc of of American history is 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 it, you know, Art. I, I I think that I am not surprised that seventy million people voted for Trump. Um, I think that our country has always been about a third fascist or willing to con- or, or, or willing to um, willing to abide fascist policies. In their own perceived self-interest, often misperceived, you know, um, often erroneously perceived. But in any case, uh, that that's never not been true in this country. So it's certainly true now. What is different now is that um, because they're because you know the last half of the 20th century. Um, saw an increase in voter rights in, in, in the rights of an increasing um, majority of, of Americans to participate in um, our thin, <laughs> flawed democratic process, albeit under a two-party system. Um, because, you know, because that happened, the Republican party had a choice to make. At some point, they had a choice to make between trying to fold in through policy through platforms, a larger um, swath of the American public, the folks who are now voting, people of color in particular, um, and Black people in particular, um, or to try to suppress those votes and and to and, and to to continue to attack right, and they chose the latter. And so, you know, Carol Anderson um, details in in her book White Rage um, the the what the um, the gutting of the voting rights act actually looked like in different states and it and this isn't a, it isn't a single policy it isn't a single method of voter suppression there are many methods of voter suppression so you know try, challenging mail in ballots is just the latest iteration and it shouldn't it shouldn't be in any way surprising but just to say that um, because 70 million people voted for Trump doesn't mean that that, that that this country is half fascist i maintain that it's a third fascist and if the rest of those folks were voting if if the vote was not suppressed, or if we moved to the popular vote, it would be a landslide, and and the Republican Party, as it stands now, would have no standing. Um, so just to say that it isn't the will of the that the will of the people is split, it's that our it, it's <laughs> it's that, that our democracy is too flawed to take into account the will of the people. Um, that said, I I think you know. Um, I agree that we are in the middle of an attempted coup. I think it is likely to fail, though I think anthropologists are not particularly good at predictions, um, so who knows? <laughs> I am, I am actually so I am not shocked by anything Trump does, and don't think he's worth talking about, frankly. Um, but I am curious at the extent to which the Republicans, um, the Republican leadership, is giving. Um, these sort of obviously fascist airtime, and I'm honestly surprised from a strategic point of view, from 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 their point of view, um, them put you know doubling down on like Trump's our guy seems just so ridiculous. Um, so so it's sort of surprising to me that 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 they don't choose at least a smarter fascist. But um, you know I'm hopeful that it will fail and. And also, yes, I wanna get onto talking about like, even if it does, um, whether or not it does, what we should have been doing all along, what we have been doing and what we should be doing looking forward because there's a lot of work to be done. Most of us have no, we have, and we don't even have a vote in whether fascism failed. We had one flawed barely vote in Massachusetts about you know, who, who got to be president, but we don't actually have any power to decide that. So I'd like to talk about where our power lies.
0: Okay, let, let me ask a question that kind of goes back to the roots, the historical precedents, as you're pointing out. Um, and that maybe it was not so much that the Republicans, that they could choose a smarter fascist. They certainly chose a popular fascist and that's clearly um, driving the support for for Trump. But what I'm wondering about is whether Describing his voters, if the key element there is really that they're okay with fascism or that it's a combination of racism and economic fear. Or, you know, maybe like the whole concept of fascism might not be, the whole concept of civil democracy, what maybe at some point they taught in social studies classes as civics doesn't seem to be on the table so that Trump and his supporters can get away with transgression after transgression of how the government our government is supposed to operate and has in my lifetime as bad as the players have been and nobody even recognizes that it's wrong it seems
1: okay art art um, yeah I, I I don't know I I you know, I'm retired. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I, I, I'm locked down. I don't I I, I not have to deal with this on a day to day basis. But you know, I think of um I, I think of Arlie Hochschild's study "Strangers in Their Own Land," where she goes and she spends a year living with Trumpsters in Louisiana, and they, you know, and they all believe they're not racist. They just believe that uh, people have cut their place in line. And there's stuff that they're entitled to that folks are getting ahead of them, and you know you dissect that, and, and it's it's a racist position to take. So I, you know, I don't know what to do about, about fascism, and I'm willing to accept Jen's figure that you know, all right, it's it, it's not almost half; it's thirty uh, percent. but but thirty percent people, and I. I and that may be the fascist but the anti-democratic you know I, I i think that's pretty pervasive inside the republican party uh, a, a kind of contempt or at least distrust of democracy which is why they're constantly trying to subvert democratic institutions so i you know i, I think that's a massive challenge and and i you know jen, jen may have more to say about this but i wanted to kind of kick it to her and say that it strikes me that there, there's pretty much all, only one way forward in this and that's organizing uh, to create a mass democratic movement. And you know, the, the success of the election was really the result of grassroots organizing in cities like Milwaukee and Detroit and Phoenix and Philadelphia. And it was largely organizing by, and, by uh, people of color in communities of color. And and that's what delivered the election. Um, and so, you know, it seems to me that that's the way forward. I don't know that you subvert fascism that way. I don't know how to subvert fascism, but I think that's the way we build the movement that creates the demands and the pressure to be a more democratic country to provide social and economic justice for everybody who lives here um and i don't know jen you're the organizer you have any thoughts on that
2: um well um i learn a lot from organizers and i think i agree with you that um that grassroots organizing is what delivered this um this win and i think Think that you know maybe maybe even more importantly it wasn't just grassroots organizing at the electoral co- at the electoral politics level it was there was there were definitely a lot of people um, hitting the proverbial streets or internet or you know phones um, to to get out the vote but what really I think animated um, progressives to vote for Joe Biden who is a moderate <laughs> um, conservative Democrat a moderate at at best. Um, was the you know was the clarity of the message of the the um, uprisings for Black Lives that happened um, early in the summer and you know I think I think that what you know if you're looking for sort of hope, hope um, Jenny and with respect to um, you know what are we going to do about the fact that so many people are voting this way or feel this way and um, I think that the the hope is in is in those is is in what those uprisings inspired which is a h- huge broad extraordinarily broad public sympathy for the black lives matter movement at at the height of those uprisings I think you know I think that the republicans thought that those uprisings were a gift to them I think that they thought well this is this is going to turn all of the you know the white progressives off of, you know, it's gonna split everybody because nobody's for Black Lives Matter. That's a sort of fringe movement and them, you know and and so that's great that that's sweeping American cities. And they tried that narrative but I don't think that it worked with with white moderate voters in the way that they thought it would. and I and I I find that at least somewhat hopeful, that 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 there was there was broader support for Black Lives Matter um, as a as a as an approach, <laughs> um, as and, and I and I attribute that to organizers really careful moral clarity um, and clarity of messaging, um, despite the fact that most of those, that, that 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 all of those uprisings were infiltrated, that there were people trying to, you know, to to muddy that message, um, openly, and that, that, that there were white supremacists in those protests trying to create divisions at in the moment and create more um, more, you know, uh, uh, glorifying. Kind of violence that that um, that was not that was not the intention of the organizers. But despite that, they won that. I think um, they didn't win it in policy, but it. I I give those uh, the uprisings an extraordinary amount of credit, um, and and you know, and those uprisings were not in any way spontaneous. Um, I I I don't have a sense of what people know about organizing, but. Um, but or, organizing is a lot is a is a disciplined um, process of bringing people together um, to based on their own self interest, um, reaching out to folks to have, to build real um, relationships and bringing people in to analyze to do political analysis to analyze what's going on and really understand it from a structural level and then figure out how to, where are the levers of power to study power in their communities at different levels, um, the local level, at the state level, at the federal level and figure out what to do about it. And 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 that isn't a one-time thing. Um, it isn't something, it, it, it isn't what the newsrooms cover. The newsrooms cover a very, very, very small part of organizing, which is direct action. Um, Cause that's where the, that's what looks, you know, looks, looks important or whatever but it takes a lot to get people um, to that point. And there's just an extraordinary amount of work that is going on and that is going on right now around the demands of the Black Lives Matter, um, the, the movement for black lives, which is, um, which is a decentralized um, movement, which, which makes it inefficient at um, producing the kind of singular um, person who's, who's gonna represent it. Um, but also you can't kill that person. Um, so that that's they've learned from the civil rights movement in that way. So I give that a lot of credit and think that we should, we should be listening and learning from those movements.
0: One of the things that I noticed that you study, Jen, um, is you referred to as structural inequalities, and you've you, we've been talking around that, um, certainly, through, through the last 20 minutes. Um, so what are you... Th- what are the, when you say structural inequalities, let our listeners know a little bit, what are you referring to?
2: Um, I'm referring to the notion that for, for example, racism is um, is, is, not, um, is not fundamentally in this country a matter of, um, of individual level discrimination. Um, it isn't a matter of, um, of belief um, at its core. Um, or, it's it, or, or I, I, I'll rephrase that, that it isn't mobilized by people's beliefs and people's, um, people's bad, individual bad behavior, um, and thus can't be fixed that way. That, that racism in this country had, was um, initially structured um, through uh, the genocide of Native Americans, through colonialism, um, the stealing of land and the killing of people. Um, and the appropriation of, um, of worlds um, and destruction of, of ways of being um, and through the institution of slavery. And that that institution, which was built of a set of laws, it wasn't, it wasn't built on individual white people's hatred or um, sense of their own superiority over black people. That's, that's an outcome of those structures, right? So slavery um, structured, structured relationships between white and black people in this country um, for many years, and then after slavery, it th- those stru- that that structure was replaced. Those structural conditions were replaced by other structural conditions, um, and they continued to be replaced um, by Jim Crow laws, by um, unequal funding, by housing discrimination, by um, policies and institutions—basically, the boring stuff. Um, that that actually structures the way that we interact with one another, um, who we live near, who we send our school our kids to school with, um, yeah, who who we work with, um, and how, and um, and that all those things are are structured, and we get to act within structures. There is individual agency within that, but that racism um, is a long term. Um, Multi-pronged structural <laughs> phenomenon in this country and remains so, um, chiefly as Michelle Alexander points out, through mass incarceration and the carceral state, which is in large part the um, incarceration and um, carceral um, and and um, carceral violence, which is to say, state violence through policing, is one of the main fo- fo- um, focus points um, of the uprisings. Um, and the movement for black lives. They're focusing on that, not because individual police are doing bad things and they want them to individually be punished, but because the carceral state is what structures violence against the Black community. Um, and so they want to take it down for that reason. Um, and it's the right, it's the right focus in my in my view. And, stru- and um, structural inequalities operate in uh, on other lines other than other than race as well. But that's uh, that's the example that we're talking about right now.
0: Mm-hmm. Let's see. We have about um, six minutes or so left in the discussion. Um, I was wondering about filling in some of the questions I had before. Um, So following through with um, structural inequalities and the list of items you just gave, Jen, um, you had mentioned the like to talk a little bit about the mechanics of voter suppression over Mm -hmm. the last century or you know, whatever time period um, you want to talk about. So this kind of vilifying mail-in ballots was one new twist in the story, but the story has historical roots. So how have people
2: been denied their right to vote? So I'm I'm not a historian and neither is Art, but I said, so Art, feel free to help me out in this. So, I mean, I'll just start listing things. Um, The current iterations include voter ID laws, and um, oh, oh, well, a major structural um, issue is, is that, that in, in the majority of states, um, former, formerly people who have been convicted of felony are never allowed to vote again. Um, and so, so formerly incarcerated people, e- even once they've paid their quote unquote debt to society um, are often still not allowed to participate as citizens um, in, the, in the democracy. Um, in our, our thin democratic processes. So that's a major one. Um, uh, voter ID laws, um, the, the, the um, limitations on, on um, registration. So, so most states don't have same day voting registration. They make voting registration really hard even though it would be really easy to make it really easy. Um, and that's, that's intentional um, in the past. Poll taxes—we have poll taxes under other names now, um, which is to say, like you actually have to pay money to vote. In in practice, um, the, those were made illegal by the Voting Rights Act. A lot of a lot of forms of voter discrimination were made um, illegal by the Voting Rights Act, and the Voting Rights Act was was gutted, um, uh, you know, fairly recently, which which opened the door for all of these different mechanisms. And each state has a different way of doing it. So, you know. Um, yeah, it it doesn't operate as a unified thing, but I'm sure that I'm I'm forgetting um, other. Well, I mean, you know, you heard a lot about the the about the um, removal of of polls um, of polling stage, polling places from predominantly urban um, people of color and inha- inhabited neighborhoods, so that it's very easy and you have no wait at all, no wait time to vote in Western Massachusetts. Um, and especially in in Amherst or in Northampton or I live in East Hampton, Um, you just walk in and you vote and it's no big deal. Um, I've never waited 10 hours to vote, Um, but in Milwaukee, they're waiting 10 hours to vote and that's pretty conventional. Uh, It doesn't have to be that way. Bart.
1: Yeah, let me me add three really quickly. And one is the aggressive purging of voter rolls. And so, you know, in the Georgia election where Stacey Abrams ran for governor, they eliminated something like one and a half million voters from the rolls right before the election. That's one, voter intimidation is another. Uh, In this election, you had armed people showing up at at, at polling places that were largely democratic. And then there were all kinds of robocalls that were made to discourage people or to scare people from going to the polls. And the third one that I think has gotten the least attention and it, it, it perplexes me that Democrats haven't wanted to fight back on this is that in many swing states in several swing states including pennsylvania and georgia they use these electronic ballot marking devices that are connected to the internet they are eminently hackable they are non-auditable and their corporate headquarters this is esns their corporate headquarters flies the trump flag i mean it's just astonishing that um that you know, these devices are used. And apparently in the test run in Georgia, right before the election, they failed because they kept flipping votes and they had to reprogram them days before election day. So lots of problems are baked in. and, And the problem is that, you know, we kind of accept it as part of the cost of doing business. And that's gotta change.
2: Jen, did you have a comment to add? Well, I just don't want pe- want want people to leave this thinking that there's nothing to be done. The system is un um, uh, is is corrupt and um, and that's it. And so we might as well just ignore it. Um, I think that that would be a mistake. So I want to just encourage people to that actually the system was built by humans and it will only be rebuilt. Um, and changed by humans, and it is—it isn't a question of like, well, is anything ever going to change? Because things are definitely going to change. The question is whether your energy and your um, interests are going to be a part of that change. And um, organizers are 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 doing really concrete work um, to dismantle and to transform and to re envision um, structure in it unequal structures, profoundly unjust structures, and they have had a lot of successes. And that, that isn't what this particular um, episode of undercurrents is about, but, um, but it's really important to understand. And so I encourage you to, to not, I, I am not depressed. I feel okay. Um, I'm just getting back to work.
1: Art? Yeah, I spent six weeks working on uh, the get out the vote effort in Wisconsin, um, remotely, of course. And and you know we flipped the state, and, and and there were thousands of people like me who were making calls and sending texts, and and you know doing that grunt level um, organizing work to get out the vote, and you know Biden won the state by twenty thousand votes, and 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 so you know I think I, I think there's all kinds of hope in in organizing successes, and and you know we should. We should do more telling the stories of organizing successes to motivate people. But, you know, the the danger would be to think that now that Biden is won, our institutions have been restored and we can all go back to doing what we were doing. Uh, Everybody needs to get to work because back to what somebody said before, the next fascist that comes along may not be as lazy or as ignorant as Trump.
0: Thank you very much. Um, Our guests in the studio today were Art Keen and Jennifer Sandler, both with the anthropology department at UMass Amherst. Um, The show that you've been listening to is Undercurrents here on WMUA 91.1 in Amherst. Thanks for joining us.